Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Greetings. He is the captain of our faith. Can we say amen? amen? He is the Word of God made flesh. He has gone away and He has left us to the work of the kingdom. Now He has not left us without gifts and without help. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us and we have the gifts that He gives in the Ratliffs and the Brownfields and the Cusels and the Chapmans and, and all of us, we all have gifts that we contribute to the work of the kingdom. He has sent these gifts to comfort us and to correct us. And as he was here to do his father's work, we are here to do his work. You might remember many times he would say, the words that I speak, they're not mine, but but my father's who have sent me. And we say the same thing when we deal with people and when we are loving our brothers and sisters in the church and dealing in the world. We're like, these are not my words. These are the words of him who sent me. And the work that we do is not our own, it's his. Now, in the midst of our work, we can become weary, discouraged, and Sometimes afraid, but fear not. Everybody say, fear not. not. Be of good cheer. cheer. Christ says, I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen. Now, David learned through many trials that those who wait upon the Lord, they do not wait in vain. Amen. Psalm chapter 40. He says this. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, and many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonderful works which Thou hast done, and Thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto Thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering Thou did not desire, my ears hast Thou opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings hast Thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I am come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do Thy will. 
O my God. Yea, thy law is written in my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, you know. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou my, thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about, and mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, and deliver me, O Lord, and make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward and their shame that say unto me, Aha! Aha! Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Isn't that an amazing thing? We're poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks about me. If you ever wonder what someone's thinking about, if you want to know what God's thinking about, Luke, the Bible tells us he's thinking about us. For thou art my help, my deliverer. Lord, make no tearing. Do not continue to wait. Oh, my God. Let us pray. Lord, we wait upon you, and as we wait upon you, We know you're coming. We don't know when. We don't know how. We know you're coming. And today we wait upon you as your people standing before you in your house. Lord, we lift up our voices to sing to you because we love you. We confess our sins because you are able to forgive us. We listen for your voice because we long to hear your words and the words that will be spoken in heaven. And Lord, we pray today that you would change us. Lord, that you would take these vile, sinful bodies that rebel against you and you would fashion them and form them into holiness, O God, unto the Lord. In Christ's name we pray and all the congregation said, Amen. Just a few more minutes or a few more moments. Um, My text is from Matthew chapter 14. Actually, um, Matthew chapter 14. Starting in verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained the disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, 
And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you love us so very much. And you've been so kind to include us in your work. It's hard for me to understand and conceive of it all. But your word says that you have ordained it. That the great things of this world will be done by weak and lowly people as a way that will bring glory to you. Lord, bring glory through us today as we work and we wait on you. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. God walks on the water, but we don't. Everybody say that. Now you might say, well, uh, if Peter was here, he wouldn't wouldn't say that because he did. And I know a lot of sermons uh, and a lot of uh, illustrations that people make are emphasizing the fact that we need to get out of the boat and we need to walk on the water. We need to have faith and we need to quit doubting, right? How many have heard sermons like that? I've heard plenty of them. And not that that point can't be made from that, but if you read this account in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for it is recorded four times in uh, the Bible here in the New Testament, four times this story is recorded. First in Matthew, everybody say Matthew. Second in Mark, everybody say Mark. It was third told uh, in um, Luke, sort of. Sort of not, okay? Everybody say, sort of not. And then in John, fully. See? See, this this thing as I'm teaching through the life of Jesus, I'm finding to be very fascinating. It's fascinating to me that someone would come along and tell a story, and then another person would tell a story, and then another person would tell a story. But, you know, we, we understand that when it comes to something that just happened. A car accident happened, and I go talk to Jason, he tells his story. And I tell my story, and Derek tells his. The car accident happened here. We all three saw it from a different perspective. Same thing happened, right? That's one thing if it's an immediate thing, but it's another thing when you're looking back. If I were going to ask some of you to talk about how this church started, I can only imagine what you would say. I can only imagine the stories you would remember or the things that would uh, stand out in your mind most, Okay. But then we have the biblical perspective and we have not only different people, we have some people that weren't there. And not only do we have people that weren't there, but then we have in the end, and more and more, and I guess I'm just getting older and I'm understanding better, John understands things that the other people do not. And this would be hard for me when I was young studying the scripture that you're telling me that John, you know, might know more than, than, than Matthew and Mark. Well, it's all the Word of God, so you know we, there's no degrees. There, there, there are definitely degrees of understanding. Matthew and Mark and Luke, all completely different. Mark was a young man. Matthew uh, you know, was a tax collector and a Hebrew. Luke was being hired to write the, the, the account uh, and from a perspective for a Greek man. And then John, though, writes it looking back 50 years back on his life. Now, the details might be a little bit different 50 years later, but who do you think understands the story better than anybody? 
And I know this is hard. You know, it's, it's the inspired Word of God. It's all the Word of God. You know, there are things that are glorious and things that are more glorious. We read the law and it's glorious, right? We talked about this last week. But what's more glorious, it's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The shadows are beautiful, right? Even the shadow of your lovely wife would be beautiful. But what's more beautiful is her actual self. Amen? And so here we have uh, a lesson here that's happening uh, in Matthew chapter 14, and it's a story. And most of the time the story is told, and when it was told, first of all, the gospel writer put Peter at the center of the story. And I didn't read that in my text yet, but what happens next? Jesus is walking on the water, and they're scared, and he says who it is, and who shows up? Everybody say, Peter shows up. Peter starts talking. Peter gets involved. Peter wants to do what? He wants to come out of the boat. He wants to walk on. He asked the Lord. Jesus did not say, get out of the boat. Peter says what? Lord, bid me come. He asks, right? Be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Not everything we ask for is the right thing. I guarantee you the first people to read the account of Christ's life through the perspective of Matthew read the story. And when they got to this part of the story, Peter became the center of the story. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to you, Steve? I mean, of course, God is, you know, God is sent incarnate in the flesh. And as I was reading this, you know, Jesus was going to pass by, but when they spotted him, did you catch that when, when, when uh, Andy was reading it? Jesus had planned to just pass by, but when they spotted him, he came over. So here, it apparently it was Jesus' habit to walk on the water. Just, you know, I don't have proper transportation. Uh, I really need to get over there. I'll just walk because he can do that. Jesus walks on water. Everybody say, God walks on water, but we know. The, the, the center of the story here in Matthew takes a turn, and I'm going to read it for you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how this develops. So you can use this in your home and you can understand the Word of God. Matthew has a focus. Mark has a focus. Luke is not sure exactly where to focus or what the facts are, and so he leaves them out. Because he's a historian. He's trying to get it right. He can't verify the story. And then John... All these years later, leaves Peter completely out of the story. That's kind of amazing to me. The most, can you imagine Peter reading John's account? Of course, Peter's dead, right? He's been uh, martyred. Peter could be reading, he's like, the most incredible moment of my entire life happened, and John leaves it out. The guy that Jesus says wasn't going to die, you know. I get crucified and, you know, upside down or whatever happened to him, however he died. And John gets to live for all these years and he retells my story, right? And he leaves me out of the story. I mean, and you're thinking this stuff doesn't happen in heaven. We were listening to C.S. Lewis, uh, The Problem of Pain in Our Car on Our Trip. And he said, you know, he said, I don't think that we will forget about the dumb things we did in heaven, he goes, but the shame of them will be gone. And instead of them being shameful, they will be the thing that we herald about God's greatness. And I was kind of like, ooh, this is kind of a thought. He goes, he goes Peter will be in heaven will be perpetually the one who denied the Lord. You might go, oh, that'll be bad. He goes, oh, but it won't be seen in the light of the shamefulness of Peter because the focus won't be on Peter. As he is seen in heaven as the one perpetually denies the Lord, 
what he's really being seen as, Tim, is the one who is perpetually loved by God in spite of the fact that he denied God. And so there will be a term of endearment that comes. I'm the one. You know, if Ananias and Sapphira make it, you know, we've joked about this, right? They make it to heaven and oh, no, they were terrible. They were bad. They did wrong. They're, they're burning in hell today. Well, if they weren't and if God was merciful to them, and you know what? I hope he was. Then they're in heaven and they're like, we're the ones who denied the Lord. And you know what? And he killed us. And, and it really brought fear on all the church. And, and, uh, and you know what? And then he let us come to heaven anyway. And, and in heaven, things will be very different. And so C.S. Lewis was offering this perspective. We don't know what it's going to be like. We have no idea. But you see, we like to put ourselves at the center of our story when what we should be learning is that Christ is the center of our story. You know, he is the center of the story. And so I'm going to take you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to show you how over time and through the different writers, the story develops. And then I'm going to get you to John. Can we do that? Can we stay with me for that? All right. Matthew 14, 22. Remember where they had been? They'd been feeding how many people? 5,000 people. They had been uh, in this place where uh, it was in a mountain area and they'd been feeding the people. And now... Jesus is sending them away. Matthew 14, 22. They had eaten. There were about 5,000 besides men and women. Verse 22. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship, to go before him to the other side, and sent the multitudes away. When he sent the multitudes away, he went up to a mountain to pray. When evening was come, he was there alone. Now you'll see, when we get to these others, there's more details. They actually, the multitudes go away, and you'll see another gospel writer says, and before they get in the boat, they come to Jesus alone, and he has a talk with them. But we don't learn about this until we get to the book of Luke. So we don't know anything about it. Matthew doesn't say anything about it. But somewhere along the line, as Luke was getting testimony, he learns about this. And we'll get into what happened on that day, but, he, but Matthew doesn't talk about it. Okay? Uh, in the fourth watch of the night... Uh, the ship was now in the midst of the sea. It was tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Okay, we don't know exactly where they are in the lake, but later on when we get to John, John tells us how far they made it. All right? He says now, in the fourth watch of the night. Everybody say the fourth watch of the night. Anybody know what time that was? Anybody know what a watch is? This is just for information. The, 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 the Romans actually set up a system of night watches and there were four of them the first one started at 6 p.m and it lasted for three hours from six seven eight nine okay and so then the second watch was nine right 10 11 12 the third watch was 12 1 2 3 right and then the third watch was between 3 a.m and 6 a.m so could you imagine being on a ship in the middle of the night and the wind's blowing against you it is between three and six o'clock in the morning now it's really dark and you've been out there apparently a long time because they didn't leave at one o'clock in the morning. Okay. So they've been out there for hours and hours, but how far did they go? Matthew doesn't tell you. He just says they're out in the sea and it's this time of night. But if you think about it and you try to think about this story, you will not miss the fact that they've been out there for hours and hours and hours and hours. And John tells us later how far they can, how far do you think they got? Everybody say they didn't make it too far. Anybody? I mean, have anyone ever been in a sailboat that won't move and you have to row? This is a new experience for me. We did this. And then imagine the wind's blowing against you. This is not good, okay? So you can literally be perpetually rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and going nowhere. Rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and going nowhere. This is kind of what was happening to them. 
Now, the other thing I learned, and I'll throw it in just for, you know, this will cost you no extra. You don't, we're not taking up a second offering for this. Uh, there, is a, there is an Egyptian hieroglyphic. And it means, if, when you see this Egyptian hieroglyphic, it means something that is impossible. Anybody know what it is? It's a man walking on waves. Isn't that kind of neat? So God, just for fun, he does this impossible thing to show that with God all things are possible. So the Egyptians, and that, that would have historically been, you know, obviously much earlier than this. But anyway, all right. So the disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were troubled, saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, being of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Everybody say, it is I. Now, this is a part I didn't read, but it's the part Matthew kind of, at least in my mind, kind of makes the center of the story. Peter answered and said, Lord, if thou will, bid me come unto thee on water. And someone might even do a thing. Hey, you know, he did ask it was God's will. And he did ask that he could go out on the water. This is how we should pray. We should pray God's will. I'm not saying that's not the point, but that's not the point I'm trying to make today. He said, come. And Peter came down out of the ship. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. He began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, where didst thou doubt? Everybody say, God walks on water, but we don't. He asked if he could, and Jesus bid him to come. But it seems to me that it was his will to have him come to show him that God walks on water, but we don't. That God walks on water, and he, the, the wind doesn't bother him, and the waves don't bother him. Because he has perfect faith. We don't. How, how many know that your faith is pretty weak? Mine is. I think it's strong. I compare it to other people's. I feel good about myself. But honestly, our faith is very weak. You know? I could tell you the different situations where I did not have faith this week several times when it would be very silly for me not to have faith. And why would it be very silly for me to have faith, not have faith? It's because God always shows up and God always does the... He always, he always shows up. Say, God always shows up. If you wait on God, you're never waiting in vain. That's what the psalm, the call to worship was about today. He's saying, I waited on the Lord and he heard me and he came. That's what God does. And you'll see that's really what this story is about in Matthew 14. And as we progress through the gospels, the story is about the disciples. They go out there and they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing against the wind and they're going and they're going, but they're not going anywhere. And they're working and they're working while they're waiting and they're working and they're working. And they would have never gotten anywhere had Jesus not come. This is kind of a picture, really, of our lives, Jason. God is wanting you to do something. God is wanting you to go somewhere. God is giving you something to do. And in the middle of doing it, Jeff, you get to where you're like, I don't think I'm going anywhere. I don't think I'm progressing anywhere. The wind just keeps blowing, and I'm never going to make it. But but what, did they quit rowing? If I say, they did not quit rowing. They didn't quit rowing. They were obedient. They're going to the other side. Okay. All right. We're going to the other side. Last time we were afraid he wouldn't go on the other side. The big storm came. He told us we didn't have faith. We're up. We're stop rowing. We're going to keep rowing. Keep rowing. Keep rowing. Everybody say, we work while we wait. 
You see what God calls us to do. And you'll see this is what the story is teaching us. That we wait on God and we do everything we can do. This has kind of been uh, perplexing to me in my life. What am I supposed to do? Sometimes I feel like I do too much. You know, I feel like I do things I shouldn't do. But when you work, like everything depends on you. uh, And you think everything depends on you. You're going to, you're going to run into some problems. I'll say this again later. We need to work like it all depends on us, but we need to know that it all depends on Him. We need to work like it all depends on us, but we need to to work, we need to know that it all depends on Him. Does that make any sense? We're to work as hard as we can and do all that we can, but we need to know that when our strength When we think we've done all that we can and we're at the end of our strength and when God has pushed us to the point, the Bible says God will not put on us any more than we are able to bear. We may be getting a situation where we're like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't go any further. I I don't think I can make it. I'm tired and and I'm despairing. What does the Bible tell us to do? Everybody say, wait and work. Everybody say, work. That's what this story is about. It's about waiting and working. It's not about Peter. Peter seizes an opportunity for him to do something. Peter always does the wrong thing. He doesn't learn to do the right thing until he denies the Lord and finds out who he really is. That he is a coward. That he is a traitor. And that he is not worthy of the Lord's company. God did not pick Peter because he was a great man. He picked Peter because he was a weak man. And Peter had to learn that God did not need his strength to accomplish work. God did not need Peter's uh, brashness. He did not need Peter's ability to, to be brave. And he did not need his courage. What he needed was Peter's weakness. And he used his weakness. And in his weakness, he will be, uh, he, he then changes. And that's, that, that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. He caught him and he said, Oh, thou little faith, where did you doubt? And they were coming to the ship. The wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and they worshipped him saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Now, Andy read for us Mark. Okay, now let's see what new information Mark tells. The way he tells the story. They that ate the loaves were about 5,000 men. Now, I'm going to add this in too. If you remember, remember Matthew, Mark, and Luke told about the story of the loaves and the fishes, right? But it's not till we get to John that we know what kind of loaves they were. Everybody say, remember this? They were barley loaves. That makes a lot of difference to the story, right? It's not till we get to John that we learn that it was the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was for Philip. It was to prove him. It wasn't until we get to John that we understand these things. And so it's not until we get to John that we really get the full meaning of the story, okay? So now we're in Mark. They ate of the loaves. There were 5,000 men. Straightway he constrained his disciples to get in the ship, to go to the other side. Uh, and while they were, while he sent away the people. And when they had sent him away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And once again, they don't tell you about what happens up there, but in Luke does. Luke, it does tell us. When even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on land, and he saw them. Okay, now you get a picture, because Matthew didn't really give us this picture, but Mark does. Mark's gospel really focuses on human strength. Okay? It, 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 even Jesus' human strength is 
because he's a Roman and Romans valued power. Okay. Verse 48. He saw them toiling. Everybody say they were toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary. So we learn the wind is blowing against them. Just like I told you. I told you the wind was blowing against them. Why would they be rowing? You cannot sail straight into the wind. It's impossible. You can, you can zigzag about. Well, they were rowing and whatever it was. It was a big wind. And here they were. Here they were. They were rowing. So they were toiling and rowing. I mean, rowing is one thing. Toiling and rowing is a whole other thing. For the wind was contrary. It was about the fourth watch of night. He comes to them walking on the sea. And I love this that Andy read earlier. And he would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit. They cried out for they all saw him and they were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said unto them, be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. And so here Mark's emphasis is on the fact that they were toiling and they were struggling and they were fearful. Right. And Jesus was walking and he was strong and he calms them. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Jesus is the take charge in charge guy that makes everything okay. All right. That's what Mark focused on. He went into them into the ship. The wind ceased. They were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure. And they wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the lows. And their hearts were hard. You see, see, see Mark's emphasis here. They should have remembered the stuff Jesus could do. Right? But they forgot what he could do. And when he did it, they had already forgotten the last thing he did. And so Mark's focusing on... The strength of or weakness of these men. Now, what Jesus told his disciples before he sent them in the boat is not recorded anywhere but Luke. Luke does not tell the story of Jesus walking on the water and Peter for some reason. Perhaps, again, the historian could not reconcile the accounts of Matthew and Mark because they seemed a little bit different. And maybe he could not find eyewitnesses of this that could testify of this for him. And as a historian, he just left it out. But here's what he does record in Luke chapter 9. We used this last week when we were talking about feeding the 5,000. Luke 9, 17. They did eat, they were filled, and they were taken up fragments that remained 12 baskets. Now, this 12 baskets have gone over and over. And uh, uh, Jeff and I were talking about this earlier. You see, Jesus was teaching them something, okay? He was teaching them that he's here, and he's here to do work, but there's going to come a transition when they do the work, okay? So he's here, but he's going to leave, right? And remember what he said, greater things shall you do than I've done, right? Which has to be perplexing for them. They're seeing a man walk on water. They're seeing a man multiply. But when it came time to feed them, he told the disciples they were going to feed them. And the disciples were overwhelmed by this prospect. And so what he does is he lets them feed them, but they feed them through him. And when they're done, he has them gather up the baskets, the fragments. And what they're seeing is these 12 baskets. What are they going to represent, Luke? What's 12? What's 12? It's right there. Them. The 12. They were called the 12. And the 12 were there. And there were 12 baskets. They were seeing that this work that Jesus was doing was soon to become their work. And so these 12 baskets were a reminder to them that they had to work. Okay? It came to pass as he was alone praying. See, in, in, uh, in Matthew and Mark, it doesn't tell us about this at all. 
Basically, it was over. Next thing you know, they're in the boat. Jesus is by himself. But here in Luke, Luke tells us about this. He didn't tell us about Peter. He didn't tell us about Jesus walking the water. He didn't tell them about any of that. He tells them about this because Luke could verify that Jesus said these words. It came to pass he was alone praying his disciples come and, and, and he asked them. Everybody say, he asked them. Who do people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist. Some say Elias. Others say, thou art one of the old prophets risen again. And so Jesus here is defining who he was. Everybody say, he was God. He was God in the flesh. God walks on the water, but we don't. Okay? He said unto them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell nobody. Saying the son of man must suffer things. Be rejected of the elders of the chief priests and scribes. And be killed. And raised the third day. Yes I'm God Peter. Yes I'm God disciples. But you have to understand that I'm not going to be here to do the work. You are. And yes I'm God almighty in the flesh. That's exactly who I am. I'm the son of God in the flesh. That's exactly who I am. But. But my job is to come and die, and yours is going to be to work. And then he told them who they were. First, in this, before he go on the boat, he tells them who he is, I'm God. And then he tells them who they are. Verse 23, he said unto them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, could you imagine these things are in their mind? They're out there rowing. This is what they're thinking about. They're thinking about what he just said. If anybody is going to come after me, he's got to take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, you have to understand, Jesus had not died on the cross. So this did not mean the same thing to them as it would to you. You understand, take up your cross. This is way before the cross. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. This is when the idea of his death is completely foreign to them. He's telling them that they have to take up a cross. What might they have even thought he was talking about? So he tells them, whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same will save it. For what is a man disadvantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and the fathers and in his fathers and of the holy angels. But I tell you a truth that there be some of you standing here which shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And I'm throwing this in too because... It's interesting, Luke goes straight from that and he skips eight days ahead. He doesn't tell about a bunch of things that happened. And he goes eight days ahead to Peter, James, and John at the Mount of Transfiguration. And I, and I can't wait till we, I'm going to talk about this and we'll get to this. But Luke takes us from mountaintop where they're feeding the 5,000 to another mountaintop where the Mount of Transfiguration where these things happen. It says, It came to pass eight days after these things, Peter took Peter, James, and John. They went into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. His raiment was white and glistening. And beheld there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah. So, So Luke takes us from mountaintop to mountaintop. Isn't that kind of interesting? He doesn't mention anything about the lake. He doesn't mention anything about that at all. Alright, so we finally get to John, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. 
Finally, John adds new information to stress the truth that he had learned from a whole lifetime of serving his master and friend. He was wanting to teach them who he was. Everybody say, Jesus was God. He was God with us, Emmanuel. He was the Word made flesh. He was the Word of God come to do the will of His Father. But the will of His Father was not to come that He would come and work and keep working and working and working. His work was that He was going to die. But their work was going to be a different kind of work. And so He said, yeah, I'll I'll help you all, but you are going to feed these people. You need to understand, I'm going to go away. I'm going to die. Yes, I'm God. And yes, I can walk on the water, but you can't. But I need you to do everything you can do. And when you get at the end of you, I can show up. That's what, that's what John's teaching us here. John 6. Then those, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, the prophet that should come into the world. And so this is John basically summing up this whole conversation that Peter and the guys had at, when he was asking them who he is. So, this, so Peter is being basically mentioned in parentheses. Isn't this kind of funny? I wonder if they had a little thing with each other. You know, I don't know. Peter was frustrated with Peter. Uh, so of a truth, it's that prophet that should come into the world. He didn't say Peter said it. He didn't say anything about any of it. He just kind of mentioned it. That's what they talked about. But what John does tell us, something that none of them tell us. He tells us why Jesus sent the multitudes away and why he sent the disciples away. Because why didn't he just go get in the boat with them? Why did Jesus not just send the multitudes away and get in the boat and go with them? Because he was showing them through what he was doing that they were going to have to go out and do the work themselves. Those 12 baskets. I, you know, I've, I've never heard anybody say this, but what did they do with the 12 baskets? They didn't want them to be lost, so where, who would they be with? They'd be with them. So here they are on the boat, probably with 12 baskets of bread. Brilliant. Could you imagine this? Picture this in your mind. You can smell the bread. It's in the boat with you. These 12 baskets. Now, I don't know what they did with it. Maybe they gave it to the poor later on. I'm not exactly sure. But they collected it so it wouldn't be lost. They sent the multitude away. Maybe they gave them the bread. I don't know. But they might have had it right in the boat. And here they were rowing, maybe smelling the bread, maybe looking at it going, hey, this is the miracle bread. This is, this is amazing. Here we are, but we can't get anywhere. Look, look at this. We're rowing. We've been rowing for five hours. And we're going nowhere. And John, for emphasis, tells us why he sent them away to go by themselves. When Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed into a mountain himself alone. You see, they wanted to make him, they wanted him to be the worker. They wanted him to be the miracle worker. They wanted him to be the provider. They wanted him to do the work of the kingdom. But he came and his work of the kingdom was to die And our work of the kingdom was to continue his work. And that's what we do. We're a congregation. We're a people. What are we doing? We are doing the work of Christ. That's what our job is. We are to go and tell people about him. We are to go teach them to observe the things that he said. He's got the power. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And we are workers who should not stop working. And we should row, and we should row, even if it feels like we're rowing against the wind. But we're going to go do the work. And Jesus is staying on the mountain with God. He's giving a picture of what is about to happen to them. He's going to lead them, and they're going to be on their own. And there they were. But he was wanting them to know that in the middle of being on their own, and to be in the middle of working hard, that when they've done all they can do, he will show up. 
That's what John was trying to teach us here. When even was come, his disciples went to the sea. They entered the ship. They went over the sea toward Capernaum. And so here this is a new thing. He's now telling them, now he's telling us where they were going. This is not included in the other ones. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. Verse 18. The sea arose and then they give us a reason. Why did the sea arose? A great wind. So here they were, they were rowing and it seemed like it was going to be okay. But God sends this wind to blow against them. This is something supernatural. The sea arose by great reason of the great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30, so 25 or 30 furlongs, a furlong is about 200 yards. It says they went about a mile and a half. Can you imagine this guys? Hour after hour after hour, it's three to six o'clock in the morning and it's hour and you've gone a mile. How would you be feeling about right now, Steve? You're tired. You don't think you can go on anymore. I don't know. They got to go several miles. They're not very, they're, they're, they're just, they can probably look back and see the shore still, you know. Jesus was up there on the mountain. So they're tired. They're toiling at their rowing. They see Jesus walking in the draw nigh under the ship and they were afraid. I said earlier, I said that when we work, sometimes we work, we get discouraged, sometimes we get weird, and sometimes we just get scared. You ever just work and you just go, you know, I don't think I can do this. I have moments like that. I, 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 don't, I don't think I can do this. This is impossible. See that, see that hieroglyphic in your mind, Andy, when, you, when you're going, I can't do this, this is impossible. See the hieroglyphic of the man walking on the water. You should maybe get one of those to go on your wall. You've got an impossible job to do now, but you can do it. Hieroglyphic of a man walking on the water. Oh, it's impossible. Oh, well, you know what that means? That means God's going to show up. Woo! Impossible doesn't have to be bad. In fact, impossible is always the beginning of every great story in the Bible. She was barren. It was impossible for her to have children. So God showed up. They were going to starve to death and eat their last meal. And the prophet shows up and, and he multiplies their oil and he feeds their cakes. It was impossible because the axe head had sunk to the bottom and they couldn't get it back. Oh, but then the prophet shows up. It was impossible over and over and over and over again. We should maybe, they would think us where we could put the Egyptian hieroglyphic up on the wall of our church of a man. You know, I don't know what he looks like. I, I didn't look it up, but you know. A man walking in there waves under him, you know. What's that like? That's God. What do you mean? With God, all things are possible. Or we should put a big X to it, you know. I don't know. I'm not really meaning it. Don't get scared. <laughs> he, said it is, he said to them, it's I. Be not afraid. They willingly received him into the ship. John doesn't say a word about Peter. I think this is very funny. And immediately, everybody say immediately. We were talking about this in the huddle up and, 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 uh, and Luke beat me to the punch. He's like, he was immediately. He was immediately. He goes, I was reading that this week. Immediately. He was immediately at land where they went. Now, maybe we can read more into this, but they were, at the time when they saw him, 
rowing and toiling, and they were only a mile away. And where they went was about 10 miles. So you can, you can read into this, whatever it means. I don't know. I'm not a Greek scholar. But it sounds pretty miraculous here, doesn't it, to you? They're rowing and they're rowing against the wind and they're scared and they see him. And they're only a mile out on a many mile journey. And as soon as he gets in the boat, they're immediately out there. I don't think they were rowing while they were watching him. I mean, I think you'd stop rowing at this point. If you saw a glowing figure walking across the sea, do you think you might stop rowing at this point? As far as we know, they were already blown halfway back to shore. And they're like, don't be afraid, it's me. Their work, the hours of rowing against the wind, was going to be hard. But their work was over. All they were ever going to accomplish in rowing, Jeff, they'd already done it. And they didn't have a lot to brag about. They, they got a mile and a half, and they probably had blown a half mile back as their mouths were open going. And crying. Ah! C.S. Lewis said, we're, we are not afraid of ghosts because of what we're afraid that they will do to us. We're afraid because we don't know what they are. Like, ah, you know. He said, you know, you're afraid of a grizzly bear for a reason. He can eat you. But like you see a ghost, you're just afraid because he's a ghost, right? They saw, they saw God walking on the water, you know, in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And they were like, ah, I mean, that's pretty scary. Isaiah 40 says this, have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he does not get tired. He does not faint. There is no searching of his understanding. He's not wondering what's going on. But you know what he does? He gives power to the faint. To them that have no might. You know what he does to them? He increases their strength. If he doesn't show up and do it for you, he will do it through you. Those times that Samson was weak and like other men, God strengthened him and oh, then his strength came back and he conquered those Philistines. Did he not? Even the youths faint. They're weary. Even young men get tired, but oh God, he does not. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. It says when he got into the boat, they were immediately at the place where they were going miles and miles away from where they were instantly to say the least. They flew. They mounted up with wings. Maybe they even beat Starship Enterprise, mock speed or whatever. I don't know how fast they had to go, but it says as he got in the boat, they were immediately at the place where they were going. Their work was done. Folks, we can do all we can do. God always does the rest. You may say, I'm weak. So what? You may say, I can't do very much. So what? God doesn't need you to row very far. He needs you to row all you can row. He needs you to do what you can do. I'll say it again. I don't know if I made this up or not or I copied it. I'm sure there's nothing new under the sun. This is how we live. Work like it all depends on us knowing it all 
depends on Him. In the final words of Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, he closes the first epistle to the Corinthians. He closes them and reminds them of the power of the kingdom that was wrought through the resurrection. He then says these words as a close to his letter and as a close to my message today. He's telling them about the power of resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. He gets to verse 57, the very end of the book, the very end of the chapter. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, everybody say therefore. God has given us the victory, and Paul says, because of that, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Row, row, row. Keep rowing, keep working, keep toiling. And when you're at the end of you, he shows up, and everything is done according to his will. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, there may be those here today who are weary, who are tired, who look at the situation like the hieroglyphic sign and say, it's impossible. We may even see God coming and to us. He is just like a ghost. He is frightening. But Lord, you ask us to just keep working and waiting And remember that He always comes to the aid of His people. That we are not doing our work, we are doing His. And He will see that it gets done. He will let us spend ourselves completely doing it. And even if only we go just a little ways, He'll take us all the way we need to go immediately by the power that He has been given. The victory through the resurrection. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.